Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our desire at Grace Bible Fellowship is to proclaim the Word of God for the glory of God. At the center of our proclamation is the one who is Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. We base who we are and what we do upon the good news of Jesus. If you would like to know more about this good news, or would like to know more about Grace Bible Fellowship, please visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. That's www.gbfperu.org. I'm glad you've decided to listen to the teaching of the Bible along with us as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. And I would like to draw our attention this morning to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, chapter 4. If you're using the Pew Bible this morning, it's, I believe, page 912. 912 in the Pew Bible. But Acts chapter 4, we will be in verse 13 to begin with this morning. And I hope it's our prayer as we are making our way through the book of Acts that We would see here the church as it begins, as it starts, and that our prayer is we would be like this church, this first church, a New Testament church, a church that's built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, a church that's healthy, vibrant, active, glorifying God. So let's read our text this morning. If you would... Stand with me as we read God's Word together out of reverence and respect for the Word that we desire to speak to us today. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak 
or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. When they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the whole world is filled with your glory. Amen. You may be seated. Do you have any bad habits? I'm not going to ask us to stand up today to raise your hands. But anything in your life that you wish you could stop, but for some reason or another, you cannot stop. You might wish you could stop. You might pray to the Lord that you could stop. But stopping it still eludes you. There is sometimes difficulty, guilt, and despair that is associated with those things. But we continue to struggle. We don't give in. We don't give ourselves over to those things. But we continue to fight. I wonder if there would be anything in your life that would be on the flip side of that. We might be able to think of things that we would like to stop. But is there anything in your life that you do not want to stop. Anything that you would say, that needs to keep going and going and going. That is something that does not need any parameters put upon it. It doesn't need to be reined in in any way. We say everything in moderation. But what if there was something where no moderation was needed? Let it go, may it never stop, and because it is so good, because it's so great, we would be unable to stop it, and we wouldn't want to stop it. How many times are we pessimistic and say, well, all good things must come to an end? But what if there was something that was so good that it didn't come to an end? There are those things that we think need to be suppressed in our lives. Hopefully that's sin. Those things that are contrary to God and to His way. Those attitudes, actions, thoughts, wills, even emotions that run contrary to the truth of the Bible. Just like we do not want cancer to spread, so we want to cut these things out of our lives. We cut them out so that they don't spread. 
Other things, we want to permeate our lives. We want to permeate our minds, our actions, our attitudes, our wills. Rather than cut those things out, we want them to spread and flourish and go forth. They are to be encouraged in our lives. We are to give ourselves over to them. We learn what might hinder them from spreading so that we do not hinder them in any way. What about when it comes to the gospel and the life of the church? Where does it fall in these categories of either being suppressed or spreading? I would make the argument that we are either suppressing the gospel or we're spreading the gospel. And that there is only ever one choice for the church. There is only one direction for us as Christ's church to go. And it's simple. We would try oftentimes to complicate things. We would try to complicate church. We would try to complicate the gospel. We try to complicate what the church is supposed to be and what the church is supposed to do. But it's very simple, isn't it? The gospel is supposed to spread. And at the very beginning of the church, we've seen this gospel go forth. We've seen it go out with the Christians, and we've seen it do amazing thing, we, things. We have seen it save thousands and thousands of people in a short period of time. Saving people even in the midst of opposition. We've seen it associated with a great miracle. A crippled man who was lame from birth is healed. And this action provides more opportunity for the gospel to go forth. But it doesn't take long for this church, some 2,000 years ago, to run into the same problem that we run into today as the church. There are those in the world who would want to suppress the gospel. And there are those who desire to spread the gospel. And the differences between those two stances are so great that a compromise can never and will never be reached. There is no agreement that can be made so that those two groups will be somehow satisfied. And here we have in this text Peter and John facing opposition from the Jewish leaders of that day. They're standing on trial before a council, and the council's name is the Sanhedrin. Seventy men, seventy religious leaders that have some power, that have some prestige, that have some authority. Seventy leaders plus one, the high priest. So this is where Peter and John stand after they have just proclaimed the gospel. This is where they stand after a crowd of more than 5,000 people had heard the word that they preached, they heard the gospel, and they believed. And so Peter and John now have this opportunity to present the gospel to these people, to tell them that there is salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus. That's the only way that anyone can ever be saved. 
And Peter and John don't hold back. They don't water it down. They bring the gospel full force to these people. And now we see the gospel spreading. And that's what our text leaves us with this morning. The gospel is spreading. So how is the gospel spreading? Five ways. Five ways the gospel spreads. Number one this morning, the gospel spreads through unimpressive people. The gospel spreads through unimpressive people. If someone were to impress you, how might they impress you? Would they do it through their looks? Would they dress to impress? Would they do it through their actions, through their talents, doing something that no one else can do and doing it well? Would they impress you with their words? They're able to speak in a way that knocks your socks off. Would it be their education that impresses you? Where did they go to school? How much schooling do they have? How many letters do they have after their name? All of those things, all of those, all of those ways might be ways that people would impress us. And what did the Sanhedrin see when Peter and John stood before them? Here were men who were well-educated, well-versed. They had a lot of knowledge. They had been to the best schools. They had a, a grasp of the law. They were the captain of the debate team in high school. Here, these 70 impressive, prominent men are with Peter and John in their midst. And what do they see at first glance with Peter and John? Nothing to write home about. They were fishermen. They were Galilean men. They were considered uneducated, common men. Now, we know from Peter and John that they did have some education. I mean, Peter writes a few books of the Bible. John writes a few books of the Bible. They had some knowledge. They had some education. They would know what most average Jewish men might know from going to the synagogue, being taught the Old Testament. But yet they had not been to the best rabbinic schools of the time like the Sanhedrin had. But yet when Peter and John spoke, they spoke as people who proclaimed something with confidence. They proclaimed this gospel with no hesitancy. There was no holding back. There was a conviction and a boldness that these men had as they said what they had to say. And the Sanhedrin were caught off guard by it. They were astonished by it. Here were these unimpressive, ordinary men saying the most extraordinary things. These are the kinds of people that God uses to spread the gospel. And it gives us hope this morning, doesn't it? It gives us hope because it means that God can use people like you and like me to spread the gospel. I love what 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and following says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. 
But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You do not have to have a degree to spread this gospel. There is no test to determine if you are qualified enough to spread the gospel. Peter and John possessed the Holy Spirit. That's what they needed. But there was one other thing the Sanhedrin recognized. Do you see what it says there in our text? And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They had not been to the most prestigious rabbinic schools in their day, but they had been to one school, which was an important school, the school of Jesus. They had been with Jesus. They had seen Jesus live. They had heard Jesus teach. They had listened to Jesus pray. Jesus taught them everything that they needed to know. Being with Jesus is what really helped them accomplish this task. And being with Jesus had made these two ordinary fishermen, Peter and John, smarter than the whole Sanhedrin put together. They had a single devotion to Jesus, a devotion that was so strong it could not be deterred or torn down. So, let me ask us this morning. How is it that you and I, ordinary, unimpressive people, are going to be used by God to spread the gospel? Let me ask you this. Have you been with Jesus? Do you know Jesus Do you have fellowship with Jesus? Are you one of his disciples? Are you willing to sit at his feet and learn from him? And then let me ask you this. If you would answer those questions, yes, I know Jesus. I've been with Jesus. Does anyone else around you, would they ever say, there's a person who's been with Jesus? Having been with Jesus and knowing Jesus will make you know more than the most learned people in our day because you know what really matters. Let me tell you, when people are upon their deathbeds, they're not going to say, oh, I wish I knew engineering more. Oh, I wish I had a better grasp on my mathematics. What what are they going to care about? That they know Jesus. We might be unimpressive people, but we are spreading an impressive gospel. Do not underestimate the power of this gospel, which comes through ordinary people. Number two, the gospel spreads with undeniable authority. The gospel spreads with undeniable authority. There could be one person in this event that we've forgotten about. Think about that for a second. Is there anybody, as we've been reading here in the book of Acts, anyone that we've forgotten? Here is Peter and John. They're standing in the middle of the Sanhedrin. 
And I imagine that there's, it's like they're in the round, like there's 70 men around them, right? As they're there in the center, spotlights on them. But there was someone else with Peter and John. The lame man who had been healed. And it's here that the author of the book of Acts, Luke, takes a little jab at the Sanhedrin. Did you see that little jab that he takes at them? Verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them. He was standing. The evidence is right before their eyes, plain as day. And I think there's a jab here because this word that Luke uses for standing is the same word that they often use for resurrected or resurrection. If you're someone who's been resurrected, you're standing up. If you're someone who is dead, you're laying down. And so here is this one standing before their eyes as though he has been resurrected. It's a visible symbol of what Jesus Christ does in people's lives. He resurrects them. He brings them back to life from the dead. And here is this man standing beside Peter and John. And they see this man and they can't say anything. They had nothing to say in opposition. But there's a problem. They wanted to be in opposition. (laughs) They wanted to have something to say. They wanted to have some piece of evidence that they could use against Peter and John, but there was nothing. And so they have to try to find a solution to this problem. So they send the men out. They send Peter and John and the lame man, the man who was healed, they send him out and they confer in private. And they ask a question. What shall we do with these men? That question, what shall we do with these men, should sound familiar in our ears because it's very similar to a question that people asked Peter in Acts 2.37. Do you remember that question? Peter just proclaimed the gospel to people. He just proved that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And they're cut to the heart and they cry out to Peter, what must we do? What must we do to be saved? And here there is this contrast. You have one group asking, what must I do to be saved? And another group is asking, what must I do to keep my own power and authority? And in being concerned more about their own power and their own authority, they are really asking, what must we do to keep people from being saved? They cannot deny the sign, the miracle. Everyone has seen it. It's evident to everyone. The damage in their eyes has already been done, so now there's this damage control. Now they will do everything in their power and in their authority to keep the gospel message from spreading. They are going to warn Peter and John, not to speak or teach anymore in this name. In what name? The name of Jesus. Behind that name is power and authority. Power and authority to heal 
a lame man. Power and authority to save. The Sanhedrin are in a power struggle. They do not want to lose their power and authority. They fear that the authority and the power of Jesus will take away from them what they already possess. Jesus' power and authority is undeniable as the gospel spreads. And you notice what it says here. It says what they, didn't, they don't know, they don't want it. They don't want the gospel to spread any further. So they called them not to teach and speak, but before that it says they cannot do- deny it. This is verse 17, but in order that it may spread no further. That little word it right there I think refers to the gospel. So that their message may not go forth anymore. They did not want the truth about Jesus. They did not want the truth about his death or resurrection to spread. And in essence, they're telling Peter and John, keep Jesus to yourself. How many people in our culture today are okay with us if we just keep Jesus to ourselves? That's nice and good for you, but just keep it to yourself. Don't push it on anybody else. Don't make people feel uncomfortable by telling them about Jesus. But there's one fundamental problem with this. There is no way for a Christian to keep Christ to himself or herself. And if you, are un, if you are able to keep Jesus to yourself, maybe it's time to examine your own life and see if you really are a Christian. The true Christian cannot keep Jesus to themselves because they know the power and the authority that comes through the gospel where Jesus calls out to dead people and says, Live! Number three. The gospel spreads with unwavering obedience. The gospel spreads with unwavering obedience. One of the first things that we teach our children is that they are under authority. And that what that authority over them says, they are to obey. Obedience is right away. Obedience the first time. Obedience without delay. God has placed us as parents with authority over our children. But we point our children to one particular truth. It's not just the fact that mom and dad have authority. The authority doesn't stop and start with us. We have authority over us as parents. God, that we have to answer to. Our authority as parents come from Him. He's given us this authority. It's derived authority. It's not stemming from ourselves. And so we as parents have to answer to God for how we've parented the children that He's given to us. This idea of derived authority is true for all authority that we see in our world. Anyone who has authority has been given that authority by God. And they will be held accountable for how they have used their authority. If they were good stewards of the authority given to them, 
or if they use their authority for their own selfish, self-serving means. This is what Jesus tells Pilate when he stands before Pilate. John 19, 11, Jesus says, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. And so now here are Peter and John standing before this council. Remember the same council that Jesus had stood before just a little over a month earlier. A council who had some authority. Authority first granted to them by the Roman government. The Roman government had authority over the land at this time. And the Roman authority agreed to give this Sanhedrin some certain authority, some amount of authority. But again, we realize that even these men, even these Sanhedrin council had been given authority from God. But now, the Sanhedrin, how are they using this authority that they've been given? What are they doing with it? They're trying to stop the gospel from spreading. They're trying to use their authority to squelch it, to stop it, to choke it out, to kill it. They did not believe the spreading of the gospel to be a beautiful fragrance of life. Rather, they saw it as a cancer that needed to be cut out. And so they warned Peter and John. They gather together. They bring Peter and John back in. They stiffen up maybe a little bit. Look as stern as they can. Lift the finger and say, don't do it anymore. Stop it or else. After, after such a warning, what do Peter and John do? Well, first, let me tell you what they didn't do. They didn't weigh their options. They did not say to themselves, you know, we really should think twice about spreading the gospel. No. They didn't have to think twice about spreading the gospel for this very reason. They knew what God commanded. And they knew that this warning and this command from the Sanhedrin was in direct opposition and a direct contradiction of what God said. So they make their appeal to the highest of authorities, whether it is right in the sight of God. God sees us. God sees what we are doing. He hears what we are saying. He knows all of the circumstances around this event. Nothing is hidden from Him. In the sight of God, should we listen to God or should we listen to you? And Peter and John say, Sanhedrin, you be the judge of that. Who should we listen to, God or you? The answer is obvious, isn't it? Obedience to God trumps everything else. We are those who are listening to what God says and then doing what God says. Here is a perfect example of a biblical response to earthly authority and understanding that God has the final authority and that all earthly authorities have their authority from God but they never dominate God's authority. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar is Lord. Peter and John saw the, their proclamation and spreading of the gospel as a matter of obedience. They had to do it in order to be obedient to God. 
if they didn't do it, if they stopped, they would be disobeying God and sinning against him. It was not that they thought, oh, well, God will like me better if I spread the gospel. God will be happy with me if I spread the gospel. I will be a better Christian if I spread the gospel. It wasn't any of that. It was sin for them not to spread the gospel. It was a failing to do what God had commanded them to do. And the very thought of that, the very weight of that idea, made their obedience unwavering. We cannot disobey God. Would we? Would we ever see the spreading of the gospel as a matter of obedience in our lives? Will we ever see the lack of spreading the gospel as a matter of disobedience and therefore sin against God? How important is proclaiming the gospel? How necessary is spreading the gospel? Your relationship, fellowship, communion with God depends upon it. Are you suppressing the gospel or are you spreading the gospel with an unwavering obedience? Number four, the gospel spreads as an uncontainable message. The gospel spreads as an uncontainable message. This comes from the second part of Peter and John's response. They had just responded to the Sanhedrin, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge And now we see this, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Notice first, they had to obey God. They wanted to obey God. But it wasn't this rote, heartless, joyless, dutiful, going through the motions. It was not, I have to do it, I have to obey, but I don't have to enjoy it. I don't have to have my heart in it. I don't have to be glad about it. Hey, I'm doing what God wants, even though I don't really want to. No, what do Peter and John say? We cannot help it. We are unable to stop. We cannot but speak. We have to do it. There is something in us that is compelling us. There is something in us that is burning. There is something in us that is so great that we cannot hold it in. We have to tell other people. We have to tell other people the gospel. And all of the authority on earth cannot stop us from getting the gospel message out. This is the life of a Christian, my, my friend. You cannot stop talking about it. Peter and John did not say, you know, maybe this council has got it right. We don't want to be one of those Christians. Who are those Christians? Do you ever talk about those Christians? What are they? Christians who talk about Jesus? Christians who won't be silenced because we have the gospel of Jesus Christ? Brothers and sisters, there is no other type of Christian to be. We are all those Christians because we cannot but speak about Jesus. We have to testify about him. Peter and John had to tell people what they had seen and what they had heard. They had been with Jesus. They had seen Jesus. They had heard him teach. They had seen him upon the cross. They saw him after he resurrected from the dead. They had seen him ascend into heaven. They were continuing to see the Lord act, even in the church. And they had to let other people know about it. 
There was no way that this message was going to be contained. It is uncontainable. It cannot and will not and must not be silenced. And you might be sitting there this morning thinking, how am I ever going to get to the point where I am unable to stop speaking about the gospel? How am I going to get to the place where I have to tell other people about Jesus? How in the world will this be the habit and the direction of my life, where I have to let other people know about this good news? Does it seem far off from you, dear Christian? Does it seem something that you will never be able to attain? Does it sound like a pipe dream? Well, that's nice for those super spiritual people. It's nice for those people who are outgoing, who are extroverts. It might be nice for the leaders of the church, pastor, but there's no way that that could ever be me. Why not? I think Peter and John are a pattern for all believers. And if this is the life of every believer, how do we get to this point? I believe it starts with this. Take time daily to behold the beauty and the glory of the gospel. Spend time each day thinking about what God has done to save you. Take periods of time to see and to savor Jesus Christ. Dig deep into the gospel. Allow it to work in your heart and life. Drink it in of all of its glories. Let it take you through the depth of your sin and rebelliousness against God. Let it teach you about what you really deserved, an eternal existence apart from God in the lake of fire. Let it take you to the heights of the cross of Calvary to see the Savior, Jesus Christ, who took your sins upon himself, who bore the wrath of God in your place, who was punished with the punishment that should have been yours. Let it bathe you with the forgiveness and the cleansing that comes through the shed blood of Jesus. Let it free you by reminding you that sin no longer has any power over you, that you've been freed from sin that you do not have to sin anymore. Let it expose those areas that need to change and that can be changed because you possess the indwelling spirit of the living God who is working in, it, in you. Let it pick you up out of the depths of despair and remind you that you are united with Christ in a death like his and you will surely be, uni re re be united with him in a resurrection like his. That he has given you new life and that now you're able to walk in this newness of life. Let it make you seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Let it tell you that you are a child of God, that you've been bought with a price, and that you are now a citizen of heaven, a citizen of the kingdom of his beloved Son. Let it bring the assurance that comes with the righteousness of Christ, that it is not your own good deeds or works that will ever save you, but that it is the grace of our loving Lord that has secured your salvation. Drink it up, my friends. Drink it up. Gaze upon it in all of its splendor and glory. And let its greatness astound you and amaze you. And let the joy of the gospel flood into every area of your life. 
And then let me tell you what will happen. You will not be able to stop speaking about Jesus Christ. You will have to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and brought you into his marvelous light because you were once not a people, but now you are a people because once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the call of the gospel. If you've never put your faith and trust in this Savior, Jesus Christ, the call goes out to you today. Do not delay. Repent of your sin and put your full faith in this Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can save. Number five. The gospel spreads with unstoppable confirmation. The gospel spreads with unstoppable confirmation. What do I mean by this? Let me say it very plain and simple. When the gospel spreads, people are changed. When lives are made whole, it confirms that God is at work. The Sanhedrin wanted to punish Peter and John. They wanted to do something more. They wanted to hurt them. They wanted to give them something that really would deter them from spreading the gospel. But they couldn't do it. All they could do was threaten them. Why? Because all the people were praising God for what had happened. The Jewish leaders had missed it. They had missed what God was doing. They should have joined the people in praising God. But they didn't want. They were unwilling to recognize that God was at work. But there was no denying it. They saw that it was God. Because who else? Who else could do this kind of work? Who else could so drastically and decisively and miraculously change the course of this crippled man's life? If you would have taken a poll on the street of Jerusalem that day and asked people if they thought that crippled man's life would ever be changed, I don't think that anyone would say, I, I believe it could be changed. In their minds, there was no way that his life would ever be changed. Well, maybe if he was younger, he would grow out of being crippled. Maybe earlier in his life, something could have happened, but not after 40 years of the same existence. No. That one is beyond hope. And then Peter and John proclaim the name of Jesus, and Jesus heals the man, and now there is no doubt. There is no question that this is a work of God. Only God could have done this, because this was an impossibility for a man older than 40 to be healed. His course had been set, his ship had sailed until Jesus healed him. And it was absolutely clear to all the people. And they were praising God for it. That is what the leaders should have been doing. They should have been praising God for the life changed. But they were more worried about preserving their position. They feared more about what man would think of them than what God would think of them. How many of us might share that fear? And is that the fear that keeps us from spreading the gospel? Is it that fear that keeps us from praising God? Keeps us from seeing what the Lord is doing 
in our midst and will do in our midst. When the gospel is spreading, when God is working in people's lives, we will not be able to miss it. When God is working in someone else's life, I never say, huh, I don't know if God's working in their life. I never say that because when God works, when he changes lives, when he softens hearts, when he convicts of sins, when he gives his grace and understanding to people in their lives, there is no question that God is at work. You cannot hide it. You cannot ignore it. You will praise God for it. And maybe it means that sometimes we should be honest if we're willing to say, "Ah, I'm not sure God's working there. Maybe it's because he isn't at work in that life yet. And if we're willing to concede this, then maybe we would be willing to say, yes, and if I want to see God work in that person's life, maybe I need to say something. Maybe then it's time for us to be those Christians who are unable to be silenced about Jesus Christ. We are unable to stop talking about Him. And when we get to that place, we will see the gospel spread and spread and spread, and we will see God's glory spread and spread and spread to the ends of the earth. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would use your word in our lives this day. That we would see the lives of Peter and John who said we cannot but speak of Jesus. And that we would say the very same thing. We cannot but speak of Jesus. And as we speak, give us your grace Give us your confidence to proclaim without hindrance, without hesitancy, without distraction, the truth. Because people need the truth. People need to find forgiveness. People need to understand how they can be made right with the holy God. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we prepare for our time around the Lord,